Hey, it's Bob from I Like to Make Stuff. Thanks for checking out this episode of Brain Pick. This is the audio-only version of the live Q&A show that I do on YouTube, and in this episode, we got Matthias Wandel. Uh, he's one of the more well-known woodworkers on YouTube, and you know, if you've ever watched woodworking on YouTube, you know who he is, you know what he does, but just in case you don't, he's an extremely engineering-minded woodworker. He does a lot of crazy machines, really complicated uh, jigs and builds and some just really cool stuff that you can't find anywhere else really he's a really cool guy he's an interesting guy has a kind of a unique way of looking at things and we talk about all sorts of stuff in this episode including how to say his name and uh, a bunch of other stuff so check out this episode with Matthias Wandel. everybody. Uh, welcome to Brain Pick. Tonight we have Matthias Wandel, and I'm really happy to have him. Hey, Matthias, how are you? All right. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> now, we, we got a lot, of, a lot of questions. I know a lot of people are really excited um, to get to, to ask you stuff directly. So uh, there's a lot piling up there. But before we get to that, um, I want to know, like I do always, I want to know how you got started in this. Because everybody comes to YouTube for a different reason at a different time you know, all that stuff. So can you give me a brief history of like how you got here and why you're doing it, that type of thing? Well, uh, I wanted to have a few videos of my marble machines online and I'd actually edited those together. And I think briefly I had them on my web space just with my ISP. Um, but uh, I, you know, it's just working out. It's like how much bandwidth is that going to use and how much am I going to get hit? Cause at the time I think bandwidth holds wholesale still somewhere for around $10 a gig. So I knew if something went viral, I could potentially be facing a big bill. Um, and so then YouTube came along and I wasn't really like the whole YouTube community thing. I, I just, I mean, if what's the other one, the other site that's for videos, that's not, uh, what's the main competitor of it? Uh, like Vimeo. Yeah. Vimeo. If you know, really what I want was something more like Vimeo. Um, and then at some point I posted my marble adding machine and that was my first viral video. And it was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. And it's like, you have so many hundred subscribers. And I'm like, what's a subscriber, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so then over time, uh, I started taking it a bit more seriously and, you know, and I realized eventually like I was getting the videos were having a life of their own. And then I think it was around the beginning of 2010 that I was taking that more seriously. And I finally got a camera that could do at least 720p, not a very good 720p. Um, and so then, and I wasn't doing it regularly then until maybe a year later. Um, I haven't really missed a week in quite a few years now. Wow. that's So um, it, it started out just kind of by accident. Like all YouTube successes, almost all YouTube successes at this point are accidental. Um, because, or, or a lot of them, because like basically they were there initially and they weren't looking for a big success. Like, you know, like look like Ryan Higa, somebody like Ryan Higa, for instance, you know, he just wanted to share stuff with his friends, uh, Lila brothers. They just wanted to talk amongst each other, you know? So uh, a lot of the big successes on YouTube are accidental and I wouldn't really count myself as a big success, but it certainly was accidental. Hmm. Interesting. So at what point did you... I mean, I, you said those started to take off and then you took it more seriously. But at what point did you say, like, this is like a viable thing that I should really pursue, not just take more seriously, you know, to turn it into an income source and all that? Uh, I'm still waiting for it to be a viable income source. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the ad revenue just isn't very much, you know. Um, I mean, if I turned on, if I maximized the ads on everything at this point, I could make a modest living off of it. But like it's you know even with a million views a week it's it's not you know a bonanza yeah yeah it's a, a little different from the outside looking in i think people may have a different idea of um you know what what the ad sales actually come out to earlier today i was flipping around some channels and i i was looking at a um it doesn't matter what i was looking at i found this woman doing a video about showing her ad uh, paycheck that she got from Google and she was all mm -hmm. happy that she was getting, you know, I'm going to show everybody how much I'm making so that, you know, you can do it too. And, you know, she went on this big whole thing and then she holds up this piece of paper. She was like this much, this month I made like $150. Isn't that awesome? How and, many views? Uh, I'm not sure, but not, not a small amount. 
you know, but uh-huh. I think what she was really excited about was actually kind of backfired um, because I think majority of people that would watch her type of channel and would get excited about that would hear that number and then realize, wow, that's not at all what I expected. You know, I can't live on $150 a month. So I think the outside perception is a little different. Um, yeah, but- yeah, I get approached like that all the time. And like, I mean, for everybody who's not, you know, it's like, I saw somebody was saying, it's like, well, you know, a uh, thousand views is about $3. Um, and I looked at my stats were, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where he gets that from. I mean, to me, it's like, if I completely max out, I might be able to get $2 per thousand views. Um, like if I turn on all the ad possibilities, but uh, it doesn't necessarily work linearly that way. Cause the more ads you turn on, the less more well they work. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and there's like the whole traffic, you know, how, how attentive people are with ads or without ads. And there's, there's a lot of, yeah. And, and you lose some of the audience with the more ads you turn on. Right. All right. Well, we'll move on from that. Um, okay. So I know just from talking that you used to work at RIM and you've done, you've been a developer and everything, but there's a question on here about your education. So I'm curious about that. Like what's your formal education background? Oh, I studied, uh, it was called systems design engineering at the University of Waterloo, which is kind of, they're always trying to define what the heck it is because it is so kind of hard to nail down what it is. What it comes down to is it's mostly electives that you choose in the upper years. So it's hard to pin down what the heck the program is about. I started out as a mechanical engineer, uh, which, I mean, coming from the outside, that's, I, you know, that's the sort of thing I enjoy. But I was very disappointed with kind of the spirit of the class. So there's a bunch of cool people in systems design. So I thought, well, that must be cool. Um, and I'd like to say that was my second mistake. And and I was able to switch without actually losing any academic terms. I had to do, take a couple of extra courses over, over the summer. Um, but uh, I wasn't going to switch again. I mean, at that point, I was too far into it. And, you know, it's like, well. But uh, people often ask me, you know, what kind of education you need for that sort of thing? And my answer is always as little as possible because um, formal education doesn't really encourage that sort of thing. Interesting. All right. Um, So what about after education? What other types of work have you done in the past? Um, Well, I went straight. Well, actually, going through university, I had a number of co-op jobs. Um, so I had six different jobs each for four months. Mm. Um, so that was very cool. I mean, they always encourage you to go back to the same employer because the employer is very much like that. Um, and I went back to a different job every time because this is my chance to job hop without it looking bad. Because, I mean, you know, if, if you're looking at somebody's resume and they change jobs every year, it's like you don't want to hire that person because, you know, they're not going to stick around. Right. Um, so I had a bunch of different jobs, but then I, uh, I straight out of gra- after graduating, I went to work for this little wee company called Research in Motion that I hadn't really heard of before. Um, but they're uh, just almost they're like within a couple of hundred meters of the university, and like, they're right in town. I was still living there, and it was a tough time to look for a job at the time, uh, 1993. And I hadn't lined anything up because I was initially going to do grad school, but I didn't get funding, and I said, "Well, you know what? I'm not going to spend my own money on this." Um, so there I was end of school term looking for a job, not knowing at the time that if anybody's looking for a job at the end of a school term is by default assumed to be incompetent because you haven't got a job yet. Um, and it was a tough time to look for a job, but then there, there, this one came up and it's like, well, I must have experience with lasers and worked at Microsoft or Lotus and a bunch of other things like check, 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 check. I mean, like, you know, totally, I was like. I'm going to go and nail that job. I'm not even, even going to wear a suit. I'm just going to go and nail that job. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So how long were you there? Uh, from 1993 to 2007. So oh, wow. 14 years. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Um, here's another one that may, I, I don't know. I may have done it wrong. What's the correct, correct pronunciation of your name? I'm pretty flexible that way because I just, you know, in terms of, the German pronunciation, um, the problem is if you're an English speaker, the subtleties of the language escape you. Um, like you just, you know, so, and so, you know, so many times back and forth. So it's like some people call me Matthias. Some people call me Matthias. Some people call me Matt. I respond to all versions. <laughs> okay. If so I really dislike it, I will not respond. 
<laughs> gotcha. So there's no wrong pronunciation. That's well, right. there are some probably, but yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so here, there's a bunch about your different tools that you've made. <clears throat> um, so there's one here. Uh, is there a contraption in your mind that you, you don't dare tackle? Is there something that you've been wanting to do that you're, you haven't figured out yet, or you're just not interested in like really trying it or. Hmm. I mean, the table saw has been sort of one of those, like a, a proper table saw. I mean, I did build one out of a, a circuit, a, a scale saw kind of thing, but to make a table saw, like a, one that is, com, com, that is kind of on par with the ones you buy requires a lot of machine components, at which point um, it's like, why bother? Right. Um, uh, another one people often ask me about is like, are you going to build a thickness planer? And I'm like, okay, the cheapest place to get the parts for a thickness planer is a thickness planer. <laughs> the, the easiest way to get the planer shaft is to buy a cheap thickness planer. Now I can smash that and put it back together, but why the hell would I do that? So uh, is that the motivation for your homemade tools is cost? Well, it has to make some kind of economic sense. Um, so the homemade table saw was a bit marginal that way, although I was given one of those Delta 10-inch table saws by a friend, and I used it a couple of times, and that thing is just dreadfully, like, it just feels unsafe, it jumps around, it's loud, it's hard to adjust, and going like, my homemade table saw is way better than that. I mean, it won't compete with a $400 table saw from the Home Depot, but it's definitely better than the jobbies that you can buy, or I, I'm more comfortable with it than the jobbies that you can buy for like a hundred dollars. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, yeah, I'm curious. I was wondering about that. Like if, you know, the bandsaw, for instance, like what was the pure motivation? Was it figuring out the problem or was it like cost savings or? Oh, it's, it's a funny story. Um, so I came across a really cheap bandsaw, just a nine inch bandsaw direct drive at a yard sale. You know, the kind that cost like $140 new. And I bought it. I paid the guy $30, but I always do yard sales on my bicycle. So I came back a few hours later with my car to come and pick it up. And the guy's like, I came to pick up the bandsaw. And this guy's like, yeah, I know I sold it. And it's like, yeah, you sold it to me. He's like, no, I sold it. It's like, yes, I came to pick it up. So it turns out he sold it twice. Oh, I was kind of picked off at him. Um, I ended up buying a scroll saw. <laughs> <laughs> which you didn't bargain very much like didn't I, I mean like i was like thinking it's like at least you give me a good good deal better deal on that one um so then i was kind of like well you know i really i knew i wanted a second bandsaw and a shitty little bandsaw would be okay for a second bandsaw just to have a fine blade in um so i was kind of ticked off at that and i was thinking you know i should try building a bandsaw my dad built his own bandsaw damn it i should you know it's like it's just a manly thing that you got to try at some point if my dad <laughs> did it hey it's like i gotta do it too um so I uh, I built my first bandsaw, and rather than going smaller, because it's like kind of pointless, you might as well go bigger. So that was an 18-inch bandsaw. And people kept asking for plans for that one. I was like, I couldn't make plans for that one because it was kind of, by the time I was done, there's a whole bunch of things I knew I could do better. So in many ways, it's an absolute design, but the fact is it's still the second bandsaw in my shop, and like it's the biggest one I've built so far. And I still use that bandsaw for heavy work, like, even though I could do better, I still use it. It still works just fine. Um, so I started designing my second bandsaw shortly after I finished the first one. Uh, and I was, yeah, once in a while, somebody asked for plans for a bandsaw. And I was like, even when I built my first bandsaw, I was like, this is such a ridiculous project. Nobody else is going to be interested in building a bandsaw. It's just way too ambitious. And, but eventually like people have asked me about it and, so by I built that one uh, like February or March I got that one done and by August or so I had my second one built, um, and that one I actually designed it ahead of time and I didn't use any I, I really tried to avoid using like hard to get parts, um, and so that was uh, the second one was kind of because I wanted to have one that was better a proper design and especially the laminated beam frame. That was kind of the idea I had that would make give the whole thing like the stiffness that it needed. Hmm. And, you know, it ended up being much stiffer than my cast iron bandsaw, which isn't the greatest. But I was kind of like, hey, cool, this is like. And it's I've had this experience now a number of times where I go into somebody else's shop and they use their bandsaw, and I'm thinking your bandsaw sucks. And you know, I pulled out my other bandsaw at some point again. It's like, 
oh, my old bandsaw sucks. I was like, I, you know, gradually realizing it's actually, this bandsaw is a pretty good one, the one I built. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's got to be encouraging, you know? <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, there's a, another question here. Is there any tool or jig that you've attempted to make and failed multiple times without ever succeeding? You know, I was actually, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was playing around with, I was thinking, um, I mean, I'm not as anti-pocket hole as people make it out to be. Um, <laughs> Are you sure? I just, you know, it's not a very good joint, but it does have its uses, but it's just not as strong as a mortise and tenon joint. And so I was like, I just want to see if I can make a wooden pocket hole jig. Like I've done just sometimes to make a drill jig, just to drill through a piece of hardwood and that hole doesn't wear out that quickly. You know, it's good for a few dozen holes. So I just made a pocket hole jig out of wood and I started drilling holes with it. But by the time I was like 40 holes in, it's like the shape of, you know, it's like it was clear that the jig was worn out. Um, And I used oak. Um, I think if I used hard maple, it might get twice as much lifetime, but it's like, it wasn't successful. And that was just an experiment. And it's like, okay, forget it. Um, I wasn't going to go any further down that one. Usually, like I do some preliminary experiments. Um, I I do preliminary experiments on stuff to to make sure that it's going to work before I invest too much time in it. Like the Panther router actually built a very crude prototype of just to test the concept because that was far enough out that I wasn't sure if it was going to work. Um, the jointer I was a bit scary of because I couldn't do a simple prototype of I had to actually build the whole jointer uh, to be sure that it would work well enough. But yeah, I think I uh, I just cut my failures off soon enough that I don't really count them as like, you know, it's not like I spent a week building this machine and then only to realize it doesn't work. It's like I... I will have investigated this far enough along to know that there's, you know, it's not going to work. Like, and even my first bandsaw, like I built the wheels and I made sure I could track a blade on it and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, and once I got the, if that hadn't worked, it's like, okay, I made a couple of wheels and I bought some shafts and it was a waste. You know, I wasted 50 bucks, no, not even that much. And that would have been, so I was pretty confident the bandsaw would work relatively early on just because I was experimenting as I went along. Yeah, so the tests can fail, and they fail more often than the actual project fails, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, I try, I, I, I really, uh, um, I mean, there's something, you know, my Pantorotor XL is like, I knew that was going to work because it's like, it was a variation on the original one. So it's like, I had the whole thing designed in CAD before I started building anything. Do you, how often do you work that way with, with the plans? I mean, I would imagine that you always start in CAD and then work from there, but is that, is that the case? Uh, no, like uh, my earlier, so my slot mortiser, my tilting rudder lift, they were built and the, and the CAD model came afterwards. Hmm. Um, in terms of like the uh, the first bandsaw, that was definitely just built. Um, I, I mean, I learned SketchUp a bit like after, a bit later after things kind of thing, um, just to, you know, to put together some plans and it's like, well, I need some, something better than micrographics designer, which I'd been using up until that point to do any illustrations. <laughs> it's just a 2d. It's like a raw draw type of, uh, that sort of program. Right. Not very precise. Probably. <laughs> it is actually very precise. Um, in that it snaps to grid line, like you tend to just snap to certain increments. So, um, it's more precise than Corel draw. Um, but yeah, it's not a CAD program. Right. Gotcha. Uh, here's another good one from David. Um, over the years, did you have any mentors or engineering woodworking for your engineering and woodworking abilities? Uh, well, I mean, my dad to some extent, although um, <laughs> one time I was asking him, was like, so how would you do this? I don't know, join these pieces or whatever. And he kind of grumpily just said, why do you even ask? You're going to do it differently anyways. <laughs> it, was, it was totally right on about that. But I was kind of like, well, just for reference. <laughs> so I know what to change. I know what to do differently. I mean, sometimes it's like you're trying to do things. You have something in mind, but you still kind of look at what other people have done just kind of for inspiration. I mean, maybe they'll have, maybe you'll find something, you know, a lot of times you have a certain approach in mind, but you still look around to see what, what else is there. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I know um, a, lot of, a lot of people. My wife is that way. She asks my my uh, opinion, and then usually does something different, which is perfectly fine. She's just putting out feelers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, speaking well, of, some, somebody said here that I'm thrilled to find out that I've been saying your name right. <laughs> this is Peter Brown. Um, when are we going to see more Rachel builds? Uh, well, she hasn't been feeling terribly well lately. Hmm. Uh, nausea and whatnot. So I don't know. Um, we'll see. Uh, I mean, she's got her, she's got her passions as well. Um, we just, just today she was kind of, <laughs> I built this really, really crude box and I left it on the, the table, which, uh, was actually for a joke video. He's like, oh, thanks for the planter you built. And I'm like, oh, because it actually put like this giant plant into it from part of the video. <laughs> nice. um, and it's like, actually, to build planter and garden type of stuff, and that would be a perfect thing because it's like it's something she wants, so she'd be motivated to do that sort of stuff too. So um, we'll see. It's also a matter of, I mean, I look at the metrics and the video, you know, the fans very much appreciate those videos, but beyond that, it doesn't at least the second one, the first one was novelty did really well on that one. The second video hasn't really done all that well. And that's something I often look at in terms of, you know, what, what does well. And so if you can get a few hundred thousand people, a few hundred thousand of your friends to watch Rachel's videos, like there will be more Rachel's videos guaranteed. <laughs> okay. Well, there's the call then Peter and everybody else. If you want to see more of that, then you have to go watch it every day <laughs> <laughs> over and over and over. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, there's another one here from Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Um, are you going to be doing any CNC projects? And I'm curious, like, about your opinion on the use of CNCs and, you know, if you have any plans for it, that type of thing in general. I mean, CNC would be really good for cutting out gears, um, but it's a very limited sort of thing. And I mean, I'm actually kind of waiting for guys like you and David Picciudio and whatever to basic and Jimmy DeResta uses his CNC quite a lot uh, and he makes very good use of it because they make a lot of signs but I'm not into decorative elements and I'm not into signs and so you cut out all the decorative elements and you cut out all the signs and there's really not a whole lot of interesting things you can do with a CNC like David Picciudio did some nice inlays well that's decorative elements um, in terms of building a machine like you need something with a tool changer just to have the right size holes realistically like you know to um and they're slow i mean this one didn't his uh, disc sander that he's done and i was looking at that going it's like most of those parts are rectangular um <clears throat> i could cut that on a tabletop faster and he could make it on a cnc hmm. you know and a lot of times you watch people with their cnc and they're standing there with a vacuum cleaner sucking up dust <laughs> And it's like, okay, so you're not letting the CNC run on its own, which is supposed to be like, you know, okay, it's slow and you don't have to be there. Um, and then just in terms of where to put it, and there's just, like, I, I don't think a router is a very good thing to cut slots with, to cut boards into pieces. So a, a, band, a question I get from time to time is like, um, can I get the program, the, this plan in the, the bandsaw plans as DXF because I want to make it on my CNC? And so my answer is always the best way to make the bandsaw is if you have a CNC machine, is to make it on your table saw. Hmm. You know, it's like yes, you have a CNC machine. It's not the best way to make it, even if you have one. Right. There's the, the Trunnions. Uh, the Trunnion supports, and the Trunnions are actually those. A CNC makes sense for those because they're a bit of an intricate, intricate shape and. They have to be accurate, but um, really, that's the only part of the bandsaw where CNC really makes sense. I mean, the rest of it is just rectangular pieces of boards, and you know, you can get those faster on a table saw than you can mount them in the CNC. Like, just the act of mounting stuff in the CNC takes a long time, and I see people making stuff on the CNC, and I hate wasting wood. Um, and so, if I need to make a gear, I'll print up my template and I'll find the odd shaped piece of plywood where I can just fit that in the corner of, and I'll stick it on there and I'll cut out just that part, leaving the rest of it contiguous. And then I'll cut it out. So I have maybe two or three millimeters of waste around this gear and it'll fit in whatever odd shaped piece of plywood I've already got, as opposed to needing a rectangular piece of plywood with an inch on every side for clamping it down. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think there, there are probably places where I've found from having one around that, um, I, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do with it in the first place. And then once mm -hmm. I had it, then I realized, oh, well, I could do this with it. Or I started looking for things to do with it, which, yeah, some of them probably would be faster done other ways. But I also don't baby my, you know, babysit my machine while it's running. So, mm -hmm. um, like, for instance, yesterday I was working on something and I it was a repetitive task. And so rather than doing this thing, this repetitive task by hand, 
I'll let the machine do it for an hour and a half, you know, you connect four. Yeah. Yeah. And so I let the machine do this for an hour and a half and then I went and did other stuff, you know, so it was good in that case, but obviously that's not going to be the, yeah. And, and, and it's awesome. I don't know where you posted the photos on Instagram or something. Uh, and for that sort of thing. Yeah. If you ever want to make a connect four out of acrylic, it's like a CNC machine is definitely a, a good one for that. Yeah. Um, I just I I was thinking about building a CNC machine in 2003, and I started experimenting with that closed loop motor control um, because I didn't want it to be you know dead slow. Um, but you know then I started doing this thought experiment. Okay, I finished my CNC machine, even though I hadn't really gotten started. And I'm like, I finished my CNC machine. I will now use it to make uh, well, I can make cures. Uh, you know, something where a CNC machine would be a definite win over, you know, like take Izzy's, take Izzy's disc sander. It's like, I could cut that out faster on, on the table saw than with a CNC machine and with less waste. So, you know, like stuff like that to me, isn't really a win with a CNC machine. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, and actually Jesse's uh, responding to his question saying, I meant build the CNC out of wood. Have you thought about that? I thought of that at times. I mean, it'd be kind of a fun thing to do. But again, it's like, what am I going to use the CNC for in the end? And CNCs, as you have pointed out, I don't know, it's, you know, it makes for really boring video. Yeah. And also, it means you spend more time in front of the computer instead of in the shop, um, which is, I spend far too much time in front of the computer already. <laughs> so I'd rather not turn computer time into shop time. Um, and I mean... If I if I have a design and a set of templates that I need to cut out, it's like, man, that goes fast. You know, the cutting the templates out on the bandsaw or, the you know, just if you have a design that you need to work with and you don't have to, you've already done your thinking ahead of time, it goes really fast in the shop anyways without a CNC. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, I, I would imagine that someone would probably send you one if you ever wanted to play with it and show why it was useless for you. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Shay Poco, those guys offer. I was emailing back and forth with them, and and it's sort of. I did at first. I was kind of at a loss, and it's like, well, I was thinking, you know, maybe, and this would involve cutting parts out of three quarter inch birch plywood, which I think the Shay Poco is. It can do it, but it's kind of pushing it. Yeah, um, it could do it fine. But yeah, so afterwards I was like, yeah, maybe. And I did mention that to them, but they're like, well, we're going to have a new one later on. I also kind of pointed them at my uh, bandsaw dropping video. That might have actually kind of discouraged me. <laughs> <laughs> like my first response was, wow, you're really brave. I mean, have you seen this video? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might not hear back from them. I don't know. Yeah. So it's like, well, let, let me, we'll get back to you when we have our more heavy duty one. But maybe that might have just been uh, just trying to like, back out of it. <laughs> gotcha. That's funny. And I mean, watching John Heist's experience, I'm kind of like, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that, you know, because it is very time consuming. And you're kind of obliged to make a video. It's not really a free machine. Um, you know, I'm be tempted. It's like, well, you know, to just buy one, to spend a thousand or whatever dollars it costs. But then, it, you know, and then you not have any obligations and I can say whatever the hell I want about it. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, you need the space. It's slow. It's with a router. It makes it less fun. So I'm just... I don't have a personal interest in it. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, a lot of people are kind of the same way about 3D printing. And I, you know, recently got one and put it together. And it was more of just like I was interested and I wanted to try it out. But I still have yet to find a reason to use it for something very specific. I mean, the only thing I've done with it is th that was actually useful was making some lens hoods for cameras. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, you know, that's something you could buy for 3 or $4, but I could just make it here. So it's, it, you know, not terribly useful yet. I think there are certain applications where somebody could find a really good reason to use that, but I haven't found it yet. So. I, I, there's this makerspace in Ottawa or sort of a hacker kind of space in Ottawa that I go to on a very irregular basis. And it's like, and so they bought uh, like a 3d printer. I even helped put one of them together. And where I see a lot of people printing out TARDISes and the owl sitting on the log kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, instead of sending you a 3D printer, they should just send you a bag full of TARDISes and owls sitting on logs. People download things off of, um, off of what is it, that uh, warehouse type thing? No, the Thingiverse. Thingiverse. People download things off of Thingiverse and print them because most people aren't really that comfortable designing their own things or just have no particular 3D thing they need. 
And I was thinking sometimes, like, well, you know, a plastic fitting that, for instance, allows you to have an air compressor to a two-liter pop bottle might be useful. But as soon as you get into that sort of thing, it needs to be very strong, it needs to be very smooth, and it needs to be airtight. And, okay, that's not what the, your typical 3D printer will do. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not to the point to where you can actually get, like, even if you can do the modeling, which is a huge part of it, you know, that it's a whole skill set by itself. So even oh, if yeah, you can yeah. do that, then what you get out of it is probably still not quite what you want quality-wise and, you know, like strength-wise yeah. and all that stuff. Um, that's why I haven't found a good reason for it yet I, I was quite inspired uh switch and lever did one on making a branding thing and he sent it off to some 3d printing service and it cost him like i think 25 euros and it's just like you know it's expensive but it's like you know considering you know considering how much effort john heist put into his branding iron that he made so it's mm. like well if i need to make a branding iron i might just go that route yeah i guess i guess that's a good point making things that you could then mold and cast or you know as as you're you're positive to then use in, in a process. I guess that makes sense rather than using it for the final, you know. Well, this, the, the branding iron, like he sent it off to some service that will do metal. I think it was like, I don't know, some fused powder type of processor, whatever metal process they use for metal. But, you know, it was clearly solid enough that you could heat up with a torch to, and, and burn wood with it. Gotcha. Um, all right. So we got a bunch of other ones here. We got to get to. Um, Okay. Oh, oh, Jack Howling. Uh, hey, Matthias. First of all, thanks for all you do. Second, do you have any big new projects coming up? Anything cool you're working on? Uh, no, I'm doing a bunch of little stuff. Uh, the big ones are always kind of intimidating. I mean, I'm thinking about building a belt sander, and I've got a list of the bigger projects, but it's kind of it's like I need to have a whole lot of stuff lined up that you know they don't have to worry about producing any content for a while to start something big. Uh, I'm not working on anything big right now. Um, I should, I should. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you do, how do you do your kind of production? I'm, for me personally, like I try to stick to a schedule, but I also only really make stuff that I have a use for or just something I'm really interested in. Like I don't just make things just to make a video. Do you, is that kind of like, what you do or do you have a do you just try to fit things into a schedule or what's your production well having a personal for it is um very important to me um because it's like somehow like a yarn winder yarn winder is something i've been approached to a number of times but it's like if i made a yarn winder i don't use that sort of thing i have no idea what you need in the yarn winder you know i wouldn't be able to make any sort of contribution to making a better one um you know so aside from not having a use for the end product, I wouldn't be a good person to even be making one of these because I don't use it. You got to eat your own dog food. Um, so one of my principles is I got to have uh, a use for it. So for instance, having this this big shop out in the country, which I visit like once a week kind of thing, it's like, well, I need this and this and this and this, you know, so that was my excuse to make a table saw. Uh, for instance, um, so... But yeah, I got to have a personal sort of use or need for it. I mean, sometimes I just do a video demonstrating a technique, um, you know, where you get just scrap wood in the end. You know, you break a bunch of joints. It's like, well, I don't have a use for a broken joints. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I always try to make sure like it's something that I have a use for always. And it just kind of keeps it more genuine too, you know, and I have a backstory for it. It's like, I'm not just making this for a video. It's like, you know, I'm always like, I needed the blah, blah, blah for blah, blah, blah. That's how the video, you know, start out with a problem that you got and then solve it. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I get a lot of emails about making a very specific pieces of furniture that I don't have any need for. And I'm not, you know, I, of course I appreciate the suggestions and stuff, but I, I can't for the life of me come up with a reason why I need like some random, you know, eight foot long dog bed or just really yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. I'd love to be able to do, but I don't have room for it. The suggestions are sort of useful in terms of you count them. <laughs> yeah. And then you realize eventually it's like, yeah, there's interest in that general direction. And if you have something that relates to it, maybe you should make it. Um, but yeah, uh, I get a lot of suggestions, but yeah, I try to focus on things that I have a, a use for. And it's really quite spontaneous. Like, I have uh, you know a bunch of things that I've been thinking of making, and then it's like I'll just start tinkering, and I don't even plan on making a video. There's a few of my videos where they start out with 
I've already got things partially built because I'm just kind of tinkering around and I'm like, wait, this might actually be a good video after all. So I get out the camera and, like, and there's parts built already because I wasn't going to make a video. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you can't like always be holding the camera. You won't ever get anything done. But um, okay, so there's another question here. This is actually the first one that came up today. So I want to make sure I get to it. What are your thoughts on Japanese joinery? And have you ever thought about trying to do some of it yourself? Oh, that actually, I get that quite asked quite a lot. Um, uh, it's kind of, it's wood porn in the way, but it's not really practical. Hmm. Like, um, because the thing is, you know, you have these really intricate joints that interlock, but you've cut away so much of the wood that it's actually, you've dreadfully weakened the whole thing. Um, so a glued mortise and tenon joint will beat any sort of really intricate joint quite a lot by, by a lot, you know, like all this interlocking without glue and all that. I mean, it's all very, you know, it's like a puzzle, um, and fine craftsmanship. And, you know, a hundred years, 200 years ago, when you didn't have good wood glue, that made a lot of sense, but, you know, or didn't have any mechanical fasteners, you know, the actually nailing things together in terms of like house construction is an incredibly good joint because you've cut away almost none of the wood. The nail is much stronger than the wood. Um, it's got some give to it. Like, you know, just a nail, nailing things together is in many ways better. Um, my dad was building the second, third cottage actually. Uh, and there's a German friend and they're putting it together and they put the, there's a mortise and tenon joint that went into the ridge beam. And I remember my dad saying, it's like, yeah, this is the traditional way to do it. But you know, this is actually, we're doing this just for the heck of it because they're both kind of into that sort of thing. But if we nailed it together, it would actually be stronger. Huh. <laughs> because if you don't cut that mortise into the ridge beam, but just throw a foot-long spike into it, you haven't weakened the structure as much. Like by putting this hole into the ridge beam and you've cut away a quarter of the cross-section of the ridge beam, you've weakened it. If you whacked a big <laughs> spike through it, you wouldn't have weakened it as much. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, I guess that type of joinery that he's talking about falls into, you said earlier, <clears throat> you're not that interested in, you know, detailed, you know, inlay and the kind of artistic stuff. I, do you, Does it kind of fall into that same category for you? Yeah, oh yeah, like Japanese puddle boxes, people ask me about that sort of thing. And it's like, it's, it's, I mean, there are, you know, the kind of woodworker that also likes to carve things, you know, you get these retired guys where woodworking is there to consume time. Um, and I don't have that philosophy about it. So, um, you know, to do an intricate carving or a puzzle box type of thing, I'm like, how much time am I going to invest in this? It's like, it's, you know, I, I don't have that much patience. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. And I mean, it's all about return, you know, what, what return you're looking for in the time that you spend on a project or on a video or, you know, whatever the thing is that you're doing. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of times uh, we were kind of talking about this in our podcast recently that, you know, the return for some people is the process, like yeah. spending that time in the process. For me personally, that's not the process. Yeah, and if woodworking is kind of a substitute for playing cribbage or something like that, then to make that thing that takes an inordinate amount of time meets your goal. Yeah, so, and that's different for everybody, I suppose. Um, so there's another one here from Shannon. Um, have you been satisfied with your Raspberry Pi components? And I don't know specifically what components he's talking about there, but um, just in general, I mean, I know you've done a few things with the Pi. Uh, what are your thoughts on it as a platform? And like, do you have any plans? I ran into a bunch of crashing issues, but it turns out to be all power supply issues. I just wasn't using a beefy enough power adapter for it. Hmm. Um, I I quite like it because it's, you know, like I haven't really, other than the uh, crashing because of power issues, like I've been able to figure everything out and there's a good community and people are like, oh, you should get a Beagle Bone or you should get this or you should get that. And I go on Google Trends and I look for, you know, to to see what the search volume is on different types of platforms. And it's like Raspberry Pi beats them all. Plus, um, you know, it helps to support the guys that actually came up with that sort of thing and invented it. And I'm really happy there's a Pi 2 now, even though I haven't bought one, because, you know, now you don't have to. You can still support the Raspberry Pi people um, and be part of that community um, and get a more powerful platform. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a very neat sort of thing. Like, uh, I love the Linux on it. You know, it just works, you know. And it's, you know, a really simple user interface. Um None of this Unity crap. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's tempting to get a Pi 2 just, and just use it to web, for web surfing. I mean, it's it's kind of painful on the Pi 1 to, to surf the web. Um, but it's I love it, you know, and it's relatively cheap. Yeah, the, the cost is, is pretty amazing. I actually considered getting one 
I mean, I have a couple of them that I've used for different things, but I thought about getting one just to have a shop computer because you can just stick it in a little plastic box, dust free, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually just mount it on the wall in the shop so I could have a way just to look at plans or look at whatever I need to listen to music, that type of stuff. You know, you could do all that and it's $35. So, yeah, yeah. So, do you have any specific plans for using one? I mean, uh, I've got two right now. I may get a third one just to get a Pi 2. And just at my rural property, I might want to... I was actually pl- experimenting with trying to have two cameras on it. Like, one would be a USB webcam, but I was never able to get that to work adequately. Like, I wasn't able to get a good frame rate out of that, and part of it is the Pi is just a little bit underpowered. Uh, I'm not sure if the Pi 2 solve it, like whether the uh, the webcam software would be able to take advantage of multiple threads, because without multiple threads, you only get like one and a half times the performance. Um, am I happy with it? I mean, yeah, it's 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 a great little thing. You know, I used to always, and I still do. You know, you keep a couple of old motherboards because, like, if I want to hack something together, you know, I can put Linux on that, and and I don't care if I burn something out. And now it's like, well. Why bother? Because the you know you just you spend thirty five dollars and if you zap it by accident, it's like it's not the end of the world, and you know and it's it's much better supported than trying to run something on some you know fifteen year old obsolete hardware kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. The using it with other things is like the interconnectivity of it and other hardware now is being explored by so many different people that you know there's drivers, there's pretty much everything you need has already been at least explored, if not fully figured out. So, which is not the case if you're using any older machine, you know, even five years ago, uh, you're going to have a hard time cobbling anything together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, So there's a bunch of questions about tools. um, And one that I'm curious about, are there any cheap tools that you've purchased that you regretted? And before you answer that, Uh I'm curious about if you've regretted the cost or the performance. Because there's a difference. I mean, if you know, if you buy a cheap tool and it's junk, you return it. Um, and there's been cheap tools that I was going to buy, and you, you know, I assess it in the store and decide that it's junk. Um, even without turning it on, you just spin this or that, or you know, you look at this the thing, the display thing, and you just turn a few things and see how it feels, and it's like, yeah, it's junk. Um, so, for instance, my, Canadian Tire had the Canadian Tire is kind of a hardware store chain here in Canada. They had like these three sets of pliers that were really cheap on sale, and I was like five bucks for these three pliers or whatever it was, and I was like, oh, I was going to buy those. And I go in a store and I have a look at them, and they're like junk. And sometimes, uh, you know, cheap socket set I can evaluate those pretty good in the store. You take the knurled handle, <laughs> you take like one of the big sockets, and you whack the socket with the handle, and if it leaves an imprint, you know it's junk. <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. Um, so, I haven't, uh, no, I haven't really. Yeah, some of the stuff has just been so cheap, and I don't use it like every day kind of thing. So, you know, for occasional use, the cheap stuff is, is good enough. Um, my favorite cheap tool, I have my red drill, uh, my red cordless drill. I bought that one like five years ago. It cost $40 in, in a bargain store. It's single speed, it's not terribly powerful. You know, it's not a great drill, but it's very light and it's just handy. And it says great neck tools on it, which I've never, ever heard of. And I love that because I'm not endorsing any brand. Hmm. So I ended up buying a better cordless drill. And I was like, well, the Hitachi seemed like, you know, if I buy a, a, a DeWalt, it's yellow. And everybody knows, oh, yeah, it's a DeWalt or a Makita. You know, it's like, well, that seems to be less recognizable. So, oh, so I see you got a Hitachi drill. Do you like that? I was like, ah. I don't want to go. I don't want to go and paint everything like Jimmy DeResta does. <laughs> yeah, probably not worth the effort, you know, for every single tool. But yeah. Um. So here's another one from Flying Woodchips. Do you get more views on your instructional videos or from just your project builds? Well, project builds, if they're well, it depends. <sighs> it doesn't split by that at all. I mean, you can just go on YouTube and see, you know, what gets the most views. Um, and lightning videos, like there's this genre of videos like that people really feel they learn something. That doesn't mean they actually learn something, but if people really feel they learn something, that really helps to get the views. Um, and building something, a lot of times, like I'll show a few tricks along the way kind of thing or, or you know, to make sure that people are kind of following along. So rather than just kind of like, you know, in the end, it's like, ta-da, look at what I built. And it's this magic thing um, to sort of take people along with you. It's like, well, I have this problem. I need to solve this somehow. 
Um, I think that does really well. Um, so that people are kind of thinking, how would I solve this? And like, oh, we solved it this way. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, and I think that's the sort of thing, like you watch Mythbusters. Um, I think they know how to plug into that sort of thing very well. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think probably the most successful of my videos have been ones where they're the most accessible to people. And maybe for that same reason, because they can, oh, yeah. you know, they can identify with like, oh, that's a little thing that I could do. Like I can do that one. Yeah, if, if they can relate to it. Although, for instance, I like home improvement does re really poorly, even though you think lots of people would relate to it. Like home improvement videos just don't do well. I don't know why. Hmm. Maybe it's or too specific kind of might have. To, to your home or something. No, I don't see other people's home improvement. Like John Heist's made a whole channel about home improvements, and like it just hasn't really done that well either. Hmm. Interesting. Well, okay, here's one from Steve Carmichael. Um, I enjoyed your ukulele videos. Do you have any plans to make any more musical instruments? Uh, just have a look at how many views those ukulele videos get. <laughs> Week after, month after month, they are some of my least... Like, that and Marble Machine 2 are my least watched series of videos and um i've learned from that is stay the hell away from musical instruments hmm. um and i think it may it may, people i think there may, there's a lot of, probably it doesn't make people feel good there's probably a lot of guys out there that's like i should know how to play a musical instrument i don't play a musical instrument either and it sort of reminds people of that and they're like yeah that's fine and good you're cool i'm just gonna go do something else now Hmm. Which of course is death for a video. Interesting. That's yeah. um, like what really was enlightening. The final one in that series, where there's, um, um, or no, it was one about uh, Pat Holly showing off his eight-string guitar. And so the first half is sort of explaining it a bit, and then the second half, the band plays with the guitar, and it's like right there, boom! It's like people start. It's like it's like people started to leave the room as soon as the band started to play. Because, and first of all, that's not what my audience is about. And it's just, you know, and of course, you wouldn't do that in the physical thing because it's insulting. But it's like, the as soon as the band started to play, the audience really started to drop off. Um, and so I think people having sort of a, it doesn't make people feel good about that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of like, if you say, look how cool I am, death for a video. Hmm. Um, you got to help people. You want to help people, you know, show them how you can be cool. Right. So how to cool videos. That's what we should get from you from now on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's like lots of videos that plug into that sort of thing or, you know, like that just show you cool stuff, you know, like uh, uh, Apocalyptic Inventor or um, what's some of those, you know, that always do experiments. Like there's one that did a bunch of welding experiments recently with microwave oven transformers and I don't remember what the... Hmm. So, I'm curious from that, like, what are some of the channels that you really enjoy, it, you know, woodworking or otherwise? Just uh, One of my favorites is uh, Colin Furs is this um, British guy, and he builds these crazy things, um, you know, like jet-powered uh, bicycle and, <laughs> you know, the world's fastest pram that goes like 80 miles an hour and um crazy stuff and just the level of energy and enthusiasm is just or one of my favorite of his was the christmas tree undecorator where he had this thing that spins the christmas tree fast enough that everything flies off <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome um that's one of my favorites um steve ramsey i really like like just the level of energy um that's always something to learn from there um actually let me just uh let me look at just uh, what I've watched recently. Uh, well, while you're looking for that, um, Jimmy Duresta was asking if you have an imposter channel. or do you Oh, have I do have a secondary channel, which people have pointed out to me that somebody is impostering you kind of thing, where all my not-so-great videos kind of go. Um, um, some of the ones, Devin Supertramp, although I've gotten kind of tired of that, that one I watch quite a lot. Um, what is it about his videos? If you, anybody that's listening or watching that doesn't know, Devin Supertramp does these really like fun, happy, you know, like outdoor, really good looking young, you know, adults. Yeah. Um, so what is it about that type of stuff that you're drawn to? I know Actually, what I'm drawn I enjoy to. The, I, I like enjoy the, the behind the scenes videos much more than the actual videos these days. 
um, because it shows how much they go through type of thing. It's like, yeah, it's like if you go in one of those videos, expect to get injured. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like when, he, you know, the people he kind of recruits online kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's interesting just the, the, the level of production, uh, the, the camera work he does. Um, so I don't really get anything directly out of that one type of thing. Um, actually, I'm just looking here. Simon Heslop, um, he just made the drum sander recently. His videos are just lots of like top-notch engineering in his videos. doesn't have a huge following. I'm just scrolling back in terms of what I saw recently that I really enjoyed. I've been watching uh, Chucky 2009s from this channel. Um, I watch his videos quite a lot. Do you do any metalworking? Uh, I mean, sometimes you're drilling holes and whatnot. Uh, I've experimented with welding a bit. But uh, I want to do a little bit more of that. Um, just scrolling back. Well, here's and, another one. And, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, uh, I'm just, I mean, there's, of course, all, all the usual woodworkers, you know, like I'm just looking, there's one by Matt Cremona, there's one by Stephen Carmichael, and I follow all these guys. I'm not necessarily on my main channel, I have another channel where I follow the ones that I don't necessarily watch every video of. I follow on my other channel, and you can't see the subscriptions for that. So, sort of like it's less of a public endorsement type of thing. Um, if I'm subscribed on that one, Veritasium. Um, let's see, I'm just scrolling through in terms of what I've seen recently. Um, yeah, Drunken Woodworker, of course. Uh, it just only shows me so many there. Um, there's, oh man, it's, I, I'm subscribed to over 100 channels, and you know. Yeah, it's, it's easy for that subscriber account to get out of control <laughs> very quickly. Yeah, I manage it pretty actively. Like if I find, if I find I don't watch every video of somebody, I'll unsubscribe and subscribe to it on my other channel, uh, where I don't watch every video. Uh, oh, uh, Applied Science. Um, uh, that's uh, Ben Krasnov. I actually met the guy at some point. Him and John Heiss are I think the only YouTube creators that I watched that I've actually met in person. Hmm. Oh, and uh, actually, and Elaine, Elaine Valancourt. Um, well, there's a, there's a few more I want to get to here. One from um, Father Thomas, who's a good guy. Yeah. I know him from online. Um, a maker, craftsman, woodworker, what do you consider yourself, and is there any value in making a distinction of those terms? I don't I, – I, like the maker thing is kind of too much of a hipster term for me. Um, like it's, it's a function of having gotten so far away from making that you have to rediscover making. You know, there used to be no makers because, you know, just to cut something out on your table saw and nail it together wasn't a big deal 50 years ago or whatever. Um, so maker is kind of the reaction. You have so many you have so many guys that, you know, go to work at Google or whatever, and they live in some urban loft or whatever. And you kind of get so far removed from making things that you have to rediscover it. And it's like, it's cool. It's making things. It's, it's not some old guy cutting stuff out on his table saw. Um, so... I make well woodworking, I guess you know. I'm like, yeah, I make stuff, but I don't call myself a maker. Do you think there's any value in the distinction? I guess. I mean, if you want to be plugged into sort of that sort of culture, it's useful. But I just, I mean, maker these days has got too much connotation about 3D printing and CNC kind of thing, um, and more electronic focused. You know, if you go to any sort of maker space type of thing, the emphasis is always on doing things with Arduinos and whatnot and CNC and 3D printing, and, and I'm not into that stuff. I think it's really actually pretty contextual because I've found that my definition of maker is different from a lot of the other people on YouTube or that run in the same circles that both of us do. And even their definition is different. But then I also found from being active on Instagram that there's several other groups that call themselves makers that are not what I would initially think of, like uh, people that make... Uh, clothes and handbags and textile oh, yeah, stuff, yeah. and they go under the the name of maker. Uh, there's also people that do, um, you know, kind of home, uh, not furniture necessarily, but like, you know, decoration and like very custom decoration and stuff like that. They go under the same term. So I found that that is maybe, in my opinion, less of a hipster thing. I understand what you're saying about coming back to it. It's the swing back. But I think it's also just a, a way for people to contextually group themselves, you know, based on what they do that they know other people do. That's different from 
other people they know. You know, so it's uh-huh. it's a, it's like a subgroup for you to be in that, that's relative interest. You know, people you know. That's that's the way I've seen that kind of come up. And you're right, the connotation I think in general is very like electronics focused, maybe at yeah. the you know the pop culture level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things where it's a term that you can own and you can, I mean, like any any group, any term, you can own yeah. it and turn it into what you want it to be. So. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like for me personally, the distinction I think is, is way, way overvalued. I think people are so quick to say I'm this, or I'm this, maybe that's out of a desire to belong to something. Maybe it's a desire to, to look like they really know what they're talking about in a certain thing. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is there, but I think making a big deal out of those distinctions, I, it just doesn't seem to have value to me, but yeah. Anyway, my opinion there. <laughs> um, so I only got about five more minutes, and I want to keep you along. And there's a lot of questions here that we haven't gotten to. Um, w- what advice would you give to someone, give yourself or to others starting out? And I don't know if that is specific to woodworking or to YouTube or to, I don't know. But what would you give advice to, to people that were wanting to, let's frame it as, pursue something that they haven't done yet and they want well, to my answer to that is always http colon slash slash woodgears.ca slash beginner <laughs> maybe something more more general for people <laughs> i mean you know start start get the minimum amount of tools and start building stuff um instead of you know like get get just whatever you barely need to you know get a skill saw or whatever or a jigsaw and um like build what you need um instead of you know like Go without the equipment. Go for as long as you can without the equipment, and then you'll get a much better sense of what you need, and also that you do need it because maybe it turns out it's not your thing. Um, so get minimal tools, get cheap tools. Yeah, um, but I, I don't. You know, people often ask me what kind of brands do you recommend. It's like I don't know. Don't get what I got. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people ask for tool recommendations. Is that something you're comfortable doing at all, or do you shy away from that? I mean, in terms of what brands, I don't know. Like, I don't really buy the good brand type stuff. I mean, certainly it's like get a table saw with a cast iron top. You know, that's definitely something that I would recommend um, because the 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 ones the ones that have it run with a universal motor and you know and like kind of light, they're just awful. Um, yeah. it, but that's kind of you know like everything else. It's like even the cheap drill presses. I mean, yeah, it's a lot cheaper. You know. Like that's that's the only thing where I'm really kind of that's something where you shouldn't really scrimp on. Have you made a drill press before? Uh, no, I was experimenting a little bit with that making a hollow chisel mortar. So a drill press is actually much harder to make than it looks because um, uh, if you got a decent sized drill press and you're drilling with like a big force bit, you're going to apply 200 pounds of force with that drill press before you even know it. Hmm. And that is even if you can mount. Like that's that's really hard, and so to get the metal components that you need for that, the cheapest place to get them is out of a drill press. So it's just like the thickness planer. You know, the best way to the best way to get the parts for the drill press is to buy a drill press. At which point you don't really need to build one anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, uh, there's another one real quick. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve of YouTube comments? I'm really interested to hear this. Oh. Uh, what kind of education do you need to do this sort of stuff? That's always like, and my answer is always as little as possible. Oh, really big pet peeve is people who ask questions and have it set so you can't answer. <laughs> yeah, you, know, so you can't actually like, reply to that. Oh, I can't answer, so it's like delete. <laughs> it's like, screw yeah, you. That is a frustrating thing. I've gotten a few recently that I really want to answer. They're good questions, and I think I have no way to respond to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. We can get couple more have you thought about designing a jig to cut gears uh I, there i mean there's this one guy that actually sells a really expensive ebook on how to cut gears and he's got this jig but cutting him with a bandsaw is actually a lot quicker uh the thing is like the the fastest tool for cutting out that sort of thing is a bandsaw and it's kind of hard to i mean you could jig some things up but just cut from so cutting from a paper template is faster than you could with a jig and so I'm just like, yeah. And the router is, of course, the thing for a jig. But again, routers make terrible machines for cutting. For cutting. Um, 
John Heist, when uh, he was making a variant of my box joint jig for a while and selling those, and he experimented with doing that. He, he had something where he's copying the gears with a router, but he broke a bunch of router bits at that too because it's, it's just routers aren't really good at just cutting. Um, so, no, I, I've got a pretty good solution, which is to pinch of paper templates, and to me, that's the best solution I've come up with. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, so we got. I'll do one last one, um, and I can't even find it on here, but I saw it. And uh, keep this PG thirteen if you can. But what's the weirdest email you've ever received? I've, I've got a couple that I can see on the list there. But sorry, what's okay, the weirdest? Yeah, if you, see, if you see something you want to answer, go for it. Yeah. What's so sorry? What was the weirdest? Uh... Yeah, the weirdest email you've ever received. I used to have my address and phone number on my website. This is before woodgears.ca and. I got like two calls out of the blue from people that just wanted to say hi, and it was just so weird. It's like, get rid of that. Uh, weirdest email. I, get a lot, I mean, I don't really, I'm sure there's a lot of weird ones, but I'm just used to them. It's like, it's all part of it. Like, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, like, there's just weird, weird things all the time. I can't really think of one that's particularly weird. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of people asking for it's like you know, if anybody could do this, you could do it. And Aaron replies like, and I don't think it's doable. It's like, yeah, but if anybody could do it, you could do it. And it's like, and I just told you, I don't think you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Like, I go for the low hanging fruits. I go for the things that are actually feasible. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, impossible videos are impossible, so you don't make impossible videos. Yeah, people often send me it's like, um, I need to do blah 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 blah, and it needs to be this and this and this and this and this, and I'm like. I'm just like, usually it's like, well, that's more ambitious than I would attempt. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, uh, is there anything else on here that you saw that you wanted to answer? I know there's a lot. Oh, yeah. Jimmy DeResta. No, no, that's Jay, that's Jay Bates. There's about the uh, some type of thread or actuator to, for set up and down computer desk. Yeah, I've been thinking about that one. Like, basically, the question is, I know you've already made a role in computer desks, but have you thought about making some type of threaded rod actuated up sit down computer desk. I'd love to see your take on one. I have been thinking about that. The problem is I actually have this height adjustable desk and the range I would need is is hugely substantial. Let me just check. So the desk I'm sitting at actually is incredibly low. It is um, 20 or 60 centimeters. So to stand up, you need it at four feet. Now that's more than twice, which means you can't just have like a single telescope anymore. You know, and that gets really complicated. That gets really complicated. And you run out of room in terms of what's doable with wood. So I actually like to sit on an armchair. And an armchair makes a great computer chair as long as your desk is the right height, which is to say very low. Um, right. So now to take that up to standing height, I have to double it in height. And that just, I, I've been thinking about it, but I can't really think of anything good. Um, thread rods would certainly be a good idea because then you don't need any sort of springs or counterweights, but then you need an electric motor and you need to pull them with a bunch of gears. Um, so I've thought about that quite a lot, but it's very difficult out of wood. Uh, Jimmy Duresta, you don't have a beard like 9 out of 10 woodworkers on YouTube do. Yes, I don't have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You don't. <laughs> uh, uh, what about vlogs? So someone else asked this, and I know recently you did one. And you kind of did it as an experiment. Uh, what are your thoughts on on blogs? It's done much better than I thought it would. Uh, I'm not going to have a vlog channel, a separate one, like a bunch of other people do, because, I mean, for me, it's like if I'm going to put the effort into it, I want people to watch it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking I should do one again. I'm not going to do this sort of a regular thing, just shooting the breeze type of thing. So I've got a bunch of stuff. I made a list of things I could talk about in my uh, in my shop in the basement. Uh, so that's kind of, I'm planning on doing one of those um, at some point next month or so, or two. Um, it's I, I just don't have the desire to just kind of shoot the breeze and tell everybody about this and that and whatnot. It's like I'm a little bit more deliberate about that sort of stuff. Gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way in that, you know, I have uh, some specific outlets for that type of stuff that I do in on my Patreon page and things like that. And it's just, you know, some people, yeah. yeah, some people like to, to, you know, spread that stuff in that format. And some people don't. I mean, I certainly understand both sides of it. But well, it's uh, 1035. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up unless there's anything else that you see that you really want to answer. 
Oh, there's one. Do you still use your bandsaw mill? Uh, I used it last last year. I don't use it much. Um, that's by Travis Smith. Um, big print for Mac or Linux. Will this ever happen? Um, I don't have a Mac. Um, and the market for Linux is small. Uh, my gear program works on Linux, though, surprisingly, um, with Wine. Um, uh, what else is there? No, I can't really think of uh, anything really pressing. Okay, well, maybe we can do this again in the future. I mean, I know people are, will, will continue to have questions, so, uh, you know, we'll they can save them up and... We'll do it again in the future. I really appreciate you taking the time and answering everybody's questions. Oh, yeah. It's like time flew. It's like, whoa, it's 1030 already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes by pretty quickly when you're talking, like, the entire time. Yeah, I'm uh, that. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, thanks for the questions. Sorry we didn't get to a bunch of them. Um, but, yeah, we'll try to do it again uh, with Matthias. And uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Okay.